we look forward to being with you, but then it's so short and it saddens us to leave. <laughs> that is really the story of our lives. And uh, it's perhaps more difficult for our kids as they go from place to place, make friends, and then they have to travel again. So um, we look forward to that day in which we are all going to be together and then we don't have to say goodbye again, right? So, uh, yeah, so we have been uh, very much excited to be back with you folks. It's been a couple of years or perhaps even more than that. Back then we used to be a family of six, so that is not good. That's a number of men, so we added one more. So now we are seven all together. <laughs> don't know if you rem- remember Micah Tuttle, and um, so he has five kids uh, right now, or six, right? No, he has six kids. Uh, it's another missionary, and uh, I tell him, you know, you have six kids. Uh, that's a number of me. You need to go for seven. So I keep on uh, tempting him about that. Uh, but we are all together a family of seven. Uh, very thankful for your prayers as we have been uh, doing ministry in Peru. And the last few months, well, actually, we are completing a year since we came back to the States uh, to do uh, many things. Uh, I'm going to open up perhaps uh, by introducing the message this morning and the experience that we went through with a lot of us and particularly myself, a couple of operations in only a span of six months. But anyway, so today I feel, uh, well, thank you, James. Uh, You know, I don't think I can imitate his enthusiasm, you know, Uh, who can? (laughs) I love James, his family, and uh, very uh, grateful for their hospitality, which resembles, I'm sure, your hospitality as an assembly here. And I pray you will persevere with that love uh, and commitment to the saints. So thank you, James and Kim and the kids, for uh, opening their home once again, and that we have enjoyed the past couple of days. And certainly we are not looking forward to leaving them, but perhaps they are. But we're going to be leaving tomorrow, uh, heading back to Maryland and, Lord willing, back to Peru uh, in the middle of May. So let us open our Bibles in uh, John 17. By no means, I feel the one uh, perhaps qualified to take this chapter, uh, particularly the whole chapter, and I will by no means intend to take all of it, but I will try to... Uh, affirm some of the verses that uh, applies to uh, to us, uh, the last segment of the chapter. Uh, sometimes the biggest of tasks is placed over the littlest guys like me, and that is how I feel this morning. How could I capture the essence of the emotion, the feeling of our Savior as He prayed for us? How could I do it as a little guy like me? And yet here we are. And I pray that you come with humility and open your heart to his heart this morning. So uh, with much fear and trembling, I want to lead you to this chapter. So John 17, uh, if you indulge me, I will do some skipping as we read. (laughs) But I want to begin by saying, John 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. We are going to hop over to, uh, towards the end in our, I believe in your, uh, depending what Bible you are reading, Jesus is going to pray for himself, verses 1 to 5. And starting in verse 6, we see that he is praying for the disciples. And then as we go to verse 20, that is where we would be in his mind as we read these verses 20 and on. So please pick up with me verse 20 and on. It says, I do not pray for these alone. Talking about the disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Seal your mind in his heart. In his emotions. Seal your mind in what he's feeling. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and you have loved me as you have loved me. And you have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared them to your name. And I have declared to them your name. And will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them. And I in them. Father, a tremendous challenge for all of us to capture your heart, and I particularly feel so small, smaller than I ever look at myself, and I pray that you will challenge our hearts and our minds and help us to prepare our families and individually for what we are doing this week. The whole world committed to remember you as you gave your life for us, and I pray that we will see a particular manifestation of your power, because we contemplate your heart. We ask you in your name. Amen. Well, as you uh, have heard, uh, in a span of six months, I was actually exposed to surgery for the first time. They have to open me up or to me or whatever they do when they have to operate on you. So for over four decades, I didn't have a single operation. Now I had it. So the first one was the removal of my gallbladder. So that was back in March of uh, last year. And through it, they discovered that I had a wound in my colon, and that got six months later on removed. Well, one-third of my colon. That 
That is why we were back here. But I remember when they did the removal of my gallbladder, uh, after they did it, uh, the surgeon approached me and he said, would you like to take your gallbladder back with you? And I said, sure. You know, who doesn't get their organs back when they get operated? Well, you do, right? Well, anyway, so I took it home and I put it on the fridge and I forgot. So after two weeks, I went back to the fridge and it wasn't there. And I was like, where did it go? So I asked my wife, and she said she had to dispose it. I'm like, you did what? That was over 40 years inside of me. It needed a proper procedure to dispose it. I didn't think it was fair. And if you want to kind of, you know, be illustrated what a gallbladder looks like, at least mine, it looked like one of those shriveled pepperoncini that comes with Papa John's. Have you seen those? <laughs> so it was in a bag. <laughs> So it was there in the fridge, and then it was gone. So we had sort of like a a, a dispute. Well, in a friendly way, you know. And uh, couples usually have disputes over their gallbladders, right? Especially if you have it in your fridge. I'm sure you do. (laughs) But anyway, things that we might not have a disagreement with, it's talking about our children. And as we prepare to leave, we are doing several things. And one thing that we have agreed, if something happens to us, we want Sarah's parents to take care of our kids. And that, folks, to consider something might happen to you is a serious thing. You won't believe uh, the agonizing feelings that we have to consider that something might happen to us. And then we have to make it official with something that's called a will. Some parents wait till they basically are in their deathbed to finalize their their, their will, and, and their kids ended up fighting after they die. We want to do it before. <laughs> In many ways, we have agreed we're going to do it before, so we see them fighting as we, you know, well, I hope they won't do that. But anyway, but with very much agonizing emotions, we come to prepare a will for our children because we want always the best for them, don't we? Typically, we do. As much as we say, no, I suffer, I want them to suffer as well. But for the most part, we do want them to prepare them to push away any obstacles that might make their lives difficult. We want to ease off things on them. That is typically what we do. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing. That is why it says that uh, in Matthew, you know, I want to remind you of that passage. It says, if you then been evil, and you know the word evil then, uh, in, in this passage, it means that evil that causes pain, sorrow, or labor. So he says, if you been evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. In other words, if we've been evil, want to make life somewhat less, uh, you know, sorrowful, less painful for our children, how much more our God who is in heaven, who knows no evil? And with that in mind, we come to John 17. With that in mind, we come to the opening, the unveiling, the, the revelation of his heart. Have you poured your, your heart to somebody? I remember that day when I, I revealed my heart to what is my wife now. 
and I was praying. I hope she is in agreement with what I'm saying. And she was. I'm like, Ooh. But have you sometimes opened your heart to someone and they don't care about it? How many times have you read this chapter and you basically give that impression after reading to God? When I was out of college, I went back to Peru and there was a girl there who came with me and she was volunteering in the school in Peru. And one day I came back from work and there was a love letter written by her to me. And I didn't care about it. And I just folded and just dumped it in the can of trash. She found out about it and I was so embarrassed. She was heartbroken. And I'm like, Lord, how many times do I go through this text and I treat your love letter to me in such a way? Folks, I want us to stop and see the unveiling of his heart, the epiphany of his heart, if I could put it that way. And he thought about you. He was thinking about me. So let's dive into it. But first of all, let us remember, as I had said, that in verses 1 to 5, the Lord is talking about, uh, about himself. He's praying about him and what he is about to do. He's talking about his glory. And it's not like he can get more glory, but what he's talking about is his glory can only be extended. His glory can only be extended. If you read those five verses, that is precisely what you're going to get. Okay? So then in verses 6 to 19, he's talking about the disciples and the task, the unlikely task of being witnesses for him. And why do we say unlikely? Because we know what happened that day when he was crucified. Everybody went away, scared of what was going to happen. But after his resurrection... They came back. Something changed them. The resurrection, the prayer that he said here, and also the coming of the Holy Spirit. So then we get to verse 19, and he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let me make it clear here. He's praying for believers. He's not praying for unbelievers. And he's praying with conviction, that a conviction that should come to us, that, is, that if we share his word, the people, the world will believe. There is here an assurance that it seems very simple, right? And it should be. We share the word and people will believe. So he's saying, I do not pray for this alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And then he goes on. There's two things I want to share with you. Number one, the first thing he's asking about you and me is eternal life. Eternal life. And the second thing is eternal fellowship. Okay? Eternal life, verses 21 to 23. Eternal life, folks, it's what it means perfect unity, unbreakable unity. Isn't that cool that when we uh, separate time as a family, we don't want anybody to interfere in our family events? Recently, we went out as a family, and we wanted to play some games. 
And let's play some uh, card games. Let's, let's play face 10. But somebody might not want to play face 10, and they just suddenly the unity breaks, right? Uh, how many times you go and you say, well, this is going to be a great family outing, but some of our kids have a different idea of what we are going to do. It just doesn't feel like we are united. Folks, when the Lord Jesus is praying about us, he's asking for eternal life in the sense that it applies to our unity. But let me just go uh, through it uh, step by step, okay? First of all, we see that there is a plain aspect of this prayer. There is a plain petition. And that plain petition is unity. Okay, in my version of the New King James that I have here, the word one is repeated five times in verses 21 to 23. And also in those verses, you see that the Trinity is being, it's being manifested there in the, in the pronouns you, I, or us. So if we unite, how many times is the word one used also with the different pronouns that uh, makes us think of the Trinity, you have at least 10 times the idea or the concept of unity being used here. So the petition is very plain. The petition is that we have unity. Unity with what or with whom? That brings us to the possibility of his petition. And the possibility of his petition is secured, folks. When I say possibility, I'm not saying that it may happen. We are going to see that it is a done deal. How so? First off, this possibility of his petition, it's stretched grammatically. Because he says, so that. And this is a very common clause. This, it's, a, it's a purpose clause, as the, those who study the original languages call it. It's a purpose clause that is repeated several times. In verse 21, it's repeated two times in verse 22, one time in verse 23, two times as well. And this is a purple clause that makes the difference between that which is desirable to that which is a reality. In other words, the Lord Jesus is saying, as we study grammatically the words here, and the Word of God says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We have the right to come and actually parse the word of God. And that is a discipline that a lot of us don't like. But if you want to be a good student of God's word, you should put yourself to study God's word, to parse it, even to the dots, even to the points, even to the commas. It's important. And grammatically here, we see that when he says so that, he's actually stressing that which is a reality. The unity that he's talking about here, it is in his mind a reality. The next thing about this, uh, the possibility of his petition is that of, he's emphatically saying it. There is a force, there is a passion in his appeal. Not a maybe, not a some, or not most, or, or every, or, or or some, like I said, but this is going to be for everyone. Everyone is going to be sharing this unity, and he's praying for this. So grammatically, we see it that is demonstrated emphatically, but this is the beauty of it, analogically. We see that when he says that 
us, me, you. And he's bringing the Trinity. He's bringing the Trinity. So this unity, it finds its analogy in the unity in the Trinity. He pulls the most incomparable parallel so we could, that we could ever think. He speaks of an intimacy that is connected to the Trinity in eternity. That is what he's asking for us. It's going to be an unbreakable unity. And analogically speaking, we think of the Trinity. But there is also a purposeful petition, what he's saying here. And that purposeful petition has to do with the experience. You know, this is a a very huge concept to speak of the unity of the Trinity. And he wants us to experience it. That is very hard sometimes to process. A Trinity-like unity is very hard to think of. But let me say this. The unity in the Trinity is constant and it's always complete. It's constant, it's always complete. This is the prototype in which God is wanting us to be a part of. He wants us to experience that unity perhaps that you've been desiring all of your life in some kind of a relationship. That is the unity some of us who are married are always yearning for and somewhat we have experienced it, but oftentimes circumstances come and that unity breaks away. God wants us to experience the unity in the Godhead. That is tremendous. And somebody might say, but what about when uh, Jesus was on the cross? What happened to the Trinity in that unity? And it's true. Because of sin, something happened in the Godhead. And I will not dive too much into it, but I would say that whatever it happened in the Trinity, in the Godhead, that unity was affected because of you and because of me. Wow, that actually elevates who he is for our sake, what he did for us. I will give you homework to consider that. Because even theologians are debating what is the meaning of that unity being severed at the cross. And I say, Lord, thank you for doing the unthinkable for me. (laughs) Thank you. And yet that is what he wants for you and for me. The unity of the Trinity. It's not only constant and complete, but it's also communal and personal. Why do I say it's communal and personal? Last night we went out with James and Kim, and our wives loved their time alone. Sarah and Kim liked their time alone. James and I detest being alone. (laughs) We are not made for it. And I was telling them, That in our relationship, we are never alone. We have the Trinity in a communion with us because of Christ. So in the time that you are alone, you're actually with three other people, if I could put it that way, of the Trinity. So we are always four people, whatever we are, when we are alone. That is the truth. Right? So it is communal and personal at the same time. And yet, when we are united with the Trinity, we don't lose our personhood. We are still, I'm still Pablo. And you will always be John, you will always be James. Wow. (laughs) We are still connected to the unity, I mean to the Trinity, and yet particularly the creation of God. So there is so much more that we could say. 
But let me just go on and finish up this first segment by saying that through the sacrifice of love of Christ, we inherit eternal life. It is the death of Jesus on the cross that makes for you and for me to inherit eternal life. That is what John 3.16 says, right? So have you this morning, have you received the inheritance of eternal life? Anybody here who is still lost in their sins, this morning, I want to tell you, there is a communion that you are invited to have by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, re- we inherit, we receive eternal life, but also we we inherit perfect unity because it's that unity of the Trinity that is asked to be an experience in our lives. As we move on to the next one, remember the first one is eternal life, and that means unbreakable unity, perfect unity. The second one, before I tell you that, I was reminded of Bella Mia or Bella Mia, as we would say in Spanish. Bella Mia in 2014, was officially entitled to a state that is worth $1 million and a mansion that is also worth a million dollars. And this is true, by the way, in 2014. Would you like to meet Bella Mia or Bella Mia one day? The day that you meet her, she would go like this. Ruff! It's a dog. A dog in New York has been given a state that's worth $1 million and a bank account that's worth $1 million. I bet the dog won't live the many years to use those $2 million in total that, that uh, she was given as an inheritance. And I say that, folks, because we have to be in equal position in the sense of who we are with the Lord to be able to enjoy what He has prepared for us, right? Would you be able to appreciate eternally what God has prepared for you in this condition as we are? Of course not. No, we can't. We need to be glorified. We need to be transformed to that glorious body that we are going to shout out and proclaim and sing the next Sunday as we think of His resurrection. You know, and in this life, we are going to be having competing affections, competing interests. And a lot of us, we will lose our eyesight from that which has been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that as you, as you examine his heart, that you want to be aligned to it. The next segment, verses 24 and 26 We see here then that from now we have considered that eternal life, it's perfect unity. It is unbreakable unity. But from verses 24 to 26, I want to tell you that we are talking about eternal fellowship. That is perfect glory. That is enjoyable fellowship. Have you heard people say, you know, well, you know, how good that we have eternal life. We are going to be like those angels, you know, sitting on the cloud and playing a harp. Uh, have you seen those before? They, they undermine the concept of what it means to be one with God, with the Trinity, 
And what are we going to do? Somehow they feel like heaven is going to be boring. <laughs> and I found some questions that they did, uh, they posed to Billy Graham about, are we going to be bored for the rest of eternity? You know, what are we going to be doing? <laughs> and I think this is what it's being addressed. The fact that we have perfect unity with God because of the Trinity, because of what he did. But we are going to enjoy it. It's not like you have brought your teenage kids on a vacation and they don't want to be there. They want to be back with their friends. We will want to be there and we want to be there to enjoy it. And God is going to make it possible for us to be enjoying our time with Him. This means everlasting love and this means permanent light. Everlasting love is the fellowship that is in the Godhead that is going to be ours. Permanent light, it means the glory of God being manifested through us. But let me just say this. When we speak of glory, we have to think of, we have to think of the attributes of a person in all of his majesty. Right? So, a lot of people try to keep their glory by using lights, makeup, surgery, right? Effects or illusions that we see on, uh, on, on movies nowadays. And virtual reality is somewhat a glorious thing that you see, and yet reality is, or is it just something that's in our minds? We humans have been trying to keep the glory of people and try to stretch it by using or manufacturing with lights, with colors, with, uh, you know, illusions. But what we are talking here, it's going to be real. And I think this is the point. God wants us in the Lord Jesus Christ to enjoy that fellowship forever. So glory is what you see Glory is what it is, and glory is what it does. There are two, two illustrations that come to mind. Remember when Moses says he wanted to see the Lord's glory? And eventually he got to see a part of it. And we know that in one of those experiences that he had been exposed to God, his face shone, it said, you know. His face was somewhat had to be veiled because people could not see it. There is the element of light that is connected to the glory of God. And the effects of it is also tremendous. The other aspect in which we see the glory of God being manifested is in John, uh, in John 15. Okay? When we... When we know, well, Matthew 17, actually. Matthew 17, uh, when the Lord goes through the transfiguration. And the disciples just were completely taken aback. What they saw was staggering that they couldn't really hold up to it. Those two experiences, it's going to be a permanent, a permanent uh, experience for us as the Lord is praying here. So let me just say that. First off, that the basis for our fellowship is the everlasting love of Jesus. It says, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Then it says, and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. 
we are going to have the right ingredient for fellowship. They say that love conquers all, right? And if we, in love, commit to one another, then it seems like we are invincible. The world knows that. And listen to what the world says about love. It says, love connects us. It inspires us to reach out. Love, no matter the type, also motivates us to exhibit certain behaviors to fulfill the need for belonging. Love prevents self-sabotage, even when it is the easiest thing to do at any time. You will experience a surge of happiness, open-mindedness, confidence, and positivity when love is your number one self-care motivator. You'll also get a clear picture of who you are and what you want, making it easier to avoid negative energy. That is what the world says. Jesus is never mentioned. When the Lord is talking about you and me, the ingredient that is going to permit not only the unity, but the fellowship is the right ingredient. Love is the right ingredient for any fellowship to survive even today. Sometimes we might fake the right kind of love. But not when you come to the Lord Jesus. Not when we come to the Lord Jesus. We know that the Lord Jesus is, his love is intimate. There is nothing to hide there. And that is ours. The love of Jesus is intimate in that there is nothing to hide. John 4, 34 says, my desire is to do your will of God. His desire is also going to be ours. There is nothing to hide in the love of Jesus and that is ours. His love is infinite. There is nothing that can stop it. Nothing to stop it. John 13, 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the love of Jesus is intimate, it's infinite, and the love of Jesus is also eternal. Nothing can hold it. Nothing can hold it. God does not mince his love to Jesus. He is not a stingy father. He has lavishly given to us all we need in Christ Jesus and we will and he will give to us for all of eternity. That is why Romans says nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Can you see his heart? Can you see the passion? Can you see that he's given us precisely what we all need? The basis for our fellowship is the everlasting love of Jesus, but the experience of our fellowship is everlasting light. Everlasting light. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And that the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are. Glory can only be appreciated when there is light. One is unable to appreciate glory without light. Have you tried it? The Oscars just happened not too long. I don't watch it, by the way, but I know what it's all about. The spotlight is on a certain individual so that we can ex- be exposed to the glories that they have done. The illusions that they make with these movies nowadays it's because of light. Have you tried to appreciate glory without light? It's impossible. Because even in the darkest night, so long as you see the stars, that is where you can appreciate the, light. the stars are reflecting the light of the sun. 
Light is necessary for us to appreciate glory. But also, one can't be permanently exposed to the light and live. You cannot constantly be exposed to the light and survive in the condition in which we are. But here, we are going to be constantly exposed to the light. And we are going to enjoy it. We are going to like it. We are going to be seeing things that we have never seen before. That is amazing. Constant exposure to the Son of God will invigorate and give permanent life. And I would ask you to read Revelation and see the manifestation of light in its fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to conclude by reading this this verse, I mean. Verses of Revelation 21, as we finish off. Revelation 21, verses 21 to 26, it says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut all day. There shall be no light. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Eternal life forever. Eternal fellowship to enjoy it. Do you remember Mephibosheth, the cripple, who was promised that he will sit at the table of the king? But what would it happen if the king died? What would happen to Mephibosheth, the person who promised for him to have him at his table daily? He's gone. So would Mephibosheth go back to his old state? The Lord Jesus Christ has carried all of us, Mephibosheth, to his table. And he never dies. He's eternal. And he wants you and I to be a part of it forever. We prepare to write a will for our kids. And to think that one day we'll be separated It's not an easy task. I wish what he has said to us right in his word would be a reality right now. That you and I can be permanently united already. And we are. Spiritual, we already are. But that we can also be enjoying that fellowship for the rest of our lives. Nineteen disciples transformed the world. Before September 11, I used to travel back to Peru with a backpack of about 50 pounds. And in that backpack, I would carry cheddar cheese, pickles, root beer, peanut butter, things that we could not find in Peru. That was before September 11. But what happened after September 11? 19 disciples changed the world. 
19 disciples for a God who didn't say what he said, what we just read to you and to me. The God who is alive, the God who we are gathered here to worship, he went to the cross for you and for me. He didn't do that for those 19 folks that transformed the world. What are you willing to do for the one who gave his life for you and for me? And he promises eternal life. He gives us eternal fellowship. Would we be those disciples who are willing to give our lives? For he has already secured eternity for you and for me. What are we going to do? The author of this hymn, it says, O Lord, haste the day when my fate shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. No matter what comes my way in this life, I know where I belong. And I'm going to live and make a difference for this Savior who died for me and has eternity as a unity and as a fellowship for all of my life. Thank you, Lord, for... Thank you so much for pouring out your hearts, your heart for us. And help us to cherish it, even as we are in these fallen bodies that sometimes pull us in different directions. I pray that as we go on, looking forward to that day in which we will be together because of your promises, that we can be faithful to you. I ask you in your son's name. Amen.